to Ghoul's Night In, the spooky chat show with your best ghoul friends. I'm Penny Snark. And I'm Edge Munster. So I am not a particularly outdoorsy kind of person. <laughs> um, you may you may have, have guessed that, you know, on account of everything about me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I could have yeah. probably uh, deduced without knowing you too well. Yeah, I'm just... I like a controlled temperature. Um, I am just, I see the appeal um, that some people have from like, you know, kind of an outdoor adventure, sort of the feeling of accomplishment. Uh, but there are certain extremes that are just beyond um, something that I could ever envision for myself. So today I'd like to talk to you about climbing Mount Everest. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, that so... is not, uh, <laughs> some, some preface information. I had texted Penny this morning and said, what's the like vibe of your episode? Because I was trying, I had two, I was trying to decide between for me after mm -hmm. this. And I didn't want to like double up on kind of vibe of topic. And you had responded uh, a place and science surrounding it. And I was like, all right, Bermuda triangle, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> so that, uh, Mount Everest just really caught me off guard just, just now. Just stopped right up there. Uh, so, uh, for anyone who is out there wondering why Mount Everest is scary, um, I will give a warning now that we will be discussing death and human remains in this episode. Um, and some of the sources I looked at, um, I rewatched, there's a great Ask a Mortician video about Mount Everest. Um, I read mm. some articles, um, including Death and Anger on Everest uh, by John Krakauer, who is the author of Into Thin Air, which we will mention a little bit more later, um, as well as Death in the Clouds by Rachel Neuer. Wow, so, lots, of, lots, lots of death on Everest. Okay. Yes, indeed. Get ready. Um, mm -hmm. So as most of us probably know, uh, Mount Everest is the highest mountain on Earth. Um, it is 29,031 feet and eight and a half inches tall as of the most recent survey of it. Uh, so it is located on the border between Tibet and Nepal, and there are routes to the summit from both sides. And obviously, you know, people live there, um, but the documented attempts at climbing the mountain started with British mountaineers in 1922. And since since people have been trying to climb this thing, people have been injured or killed in the attempt. <laughs> um so well, there's a big is, mountain, so it makes sense. <laughs> it is. Um, so there, there's a, a, apparently a feeling in like climbing and mountaineering circles that climbing Everest is not like cool or impressive anymore um, because <laughs> they well. So these days, a lot of it is like paid expeditions and guides who are like doing a lot of like the actual like hefting of stuff and work, which we will talk about later. Um, it still seems pretty hard to me, uh, but I I see their perspective. But um, we'll maybe keep in mind that in recent times, there have only been two years that no one died on Everest, 1977 and 2020, when there were no climbing permits issued because of COVID. Oh, <laughs> so not even because no one died, because no one was there. No one was up there. Uh, okay. We're just going to dive right in. Um, in mountaineering, there is a term called the death zone. Mm, fun. Are you familiar with this term, Midge? Mm, well, I have spent a good chunk of my life mountaineering, but I've yeah, forgotten I know, what this term is. I know you are. A, so. <laughs> you're a major mountain. I'm a mountain seasoned girly, mountain so. climber. Yeah. <laughs> no, I am not familiar with the death zone. Yes. Um. So the death zone is not an overdramatic name. Um. It is 
so-called because it's an it is an altitude at which you are actively dying while you are there because it is too high for your body to deal with oh god like just because of like air and yes so well here we go uh So when you go up into higher altitudes, um, there is less atmospheric pressure and there is also less oxygen um, in the air. Uh, So lack of oxygen can cause a lot of different health problems. Um, Your heart rate uh, can soar up to 140 beats per minute um, when there is not enough oxygen, which increases the risk of having a heart attack just because your heart is freaking out. Mm -hmm. Um, Your body also starts to deprioritize not what what this article referred to as non-essential systems but that means like digestion so your body stops doing like anything except making your heart beat like making sure you're beating and breathing right yes um it's giving space on earth i hate it exactly right yep as i was reading this i was like oh yep hey it's a lot of the things that i hate about space (laughs) and a lot of things that are the exact you know opposite of what i hate about deep water but in the equally terrifying way Mm -hmm. Uh, so if you are gonna try and climb um in the himalayas or any other like very tall mountain um you do have to give yourself time to acclimatize and stay in high altitudes um so if you are going up everest you generally um historically you've made like kind of three trips up the mountain from base camp and just go like a couple thousand feet higher each time just, just to kind just of a like, couple. yep slowly slowly get used to it um before you make that final push to the top um But even, you know, acclimatizing to this altitude can cause weird body stuff. Um, So your body starts making extra hemoglobin, um, which is the protein um, that helps your blood cells carry oxygen around. And your body's like, oh, we got to compensate. We need more hemoglobin so we can, you know, make better use of this oxygen. Uh, But too much hemoglobin can thicken your blood too much, um, make it it harder for your heart to pump it. Um, You can have a stroke. Um, There can be fluid that accumulates in your lungs because of this. Um, There is a condition that is referred to as, I don't know if they call it HAPE. (laughs) It's H-A-P-E. But all the articles (laughs) just refer to by that. Uh, It's high altitude pulmonary edema. Um, And edema is like the term for like too much fluid, like congregating in your body yeah and so that fluid can leak into your lungs um other symptoms of high altitude are fatigue um feeling of impending suffocation weakness a persistent cough that brings up frothy fluid um sometimes you cough so hard that it cracks your ribs and that's no good um and so that's just in you know the getting up to that point yeah (laughs) so like i don't know if we're getting there is this something that would cause like like does like as far as okay like the hemoglobin Mm -hmm. increase and things does mountain climbing like permanently change your biological makeup or like does that like cease after you stop climbing the mountain i wonder yeah, it, it does go back to normal once okay. you are kind of returning to normal altitudes. But I'm I'm not sure there was some stuff about like, you know, the impacts on obviously, you know, there are some people who like have climbed Mount Everest like 20 times. Yeah. So I don't know if that like has long term impacts on your body. You, like you it's hard to imagine it think. doesn't. It has to, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yes. Um. So the death zone is at 8,000 meters or over 26,000 feet. Um, 
So as we mentioned, um, this is an altitude that is so extreme that you cannot acclimatize to it. Like your body is just going to struggle the whole time. Um, a writer and Everest documentarian named David Brashears um, described it as like running on a treadmill while breathing through a straw. <laughs> that's so <laughs> that's a nightmare. Like wh- why? Uh-huh. For what reason? I, I know. That's the thing. I'm like, I'm sorry to anyone out there who is a mountaineer or another like extreme athletics person, but I'm just like, I, I can't, I cannot wrap my mind around the appeal of this. No, I have asthma. I can't breathe on a normal right? day. I, I certainly know. don't want to be breathing through a straw on a treadmill. That's, I'm uninterested in that. I'm like, I think I have a deviated septum. So like, I'm just bad at breathing in general. <laughs> What what is it that the kids are saying? Miss me with that shit. Yes. <laughs> a, yeah, for no, real. No um, death zone for me. No, thank you. Uh, so in the in the death zone, um, it's very difficult to sleep um, because you cannot breathe. Um, you <laughs> right bas- <laughs> makes sense. Right. Um, you basically can't digest food. Um, you are using oxygen up faster than your body can physically replenish it. Um, So obviously you do, most people today are using supplementary oxygen, bringing oxygen tanks. um, And so that is going to help you kind of get your way through it. (laughs) And that's why people are like, you're not a real, (laughs) you're not a real mountain climber. You didn't even die. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Uh, And one of the things um, that is a big risk factor is hypoxia, um, which is the lack of adequate oxygen to your brain. Um, So your brain can start to swell, uh, which causes high altitude cerebral edema. If we want to, you know, go with a nice partner for that pulmonary one we talked about before. (laughs) Uh, And that can cause your cause that can cause nausea, (laughs) vomiting, and also just difficulty thinking. Um, So it's like cognitive yeah, like confusion, I'm sure. Yes, yeah. So people, like, sometimes, you know, if they are not getting enough oxygen or they're spending too long in a death zone, um, you forget where you are. Um, people start ripping their clothes off, um, talking to imaginary friends. Uh, they refer to it as high-altitude psychosis in this article. And so a lot of people... Um, you could die into the death zone just from like the physical impacts of it, but also because you're making crazy decisions because yeah. your brain is suffocating. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Fun. Uh, so, <laughs> fun. Uh, so generally when you are the, apparently the way, the way that it's done like these days, when you're climbing Everest, um, there is camp four is located at 26,000 feet, the start of the death zone. Um, you leave from camp with your group. You climb for seven hours to reach the wow. summit. You have 20 minutes to enjoy the summit. And then you start your 12-hour descent back down the mountain Jesus. to the next camp. Um, but with I wonder if over- this is like a, like a submarine thing where like you can de-escalate too quickly and, and not reacclimate yeah. to proper altitude. Probably get the bend, reverse bends. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but as some people may have seen, um, there is so much overcrowding in recent years. Sometimes you are you're waiting hours, like in a line of people, for your turn at the summit. So you're just chilling in the death zone that whole time, like sucking on your uh, supplementary oxygen, <laughs> and just trying to deal. Um, But it isn't just the death zone that's scary about Mount Everest. 
Uh, so most common causes of death um, also include avalanches, um, sure. just straight up falling, um, as well as exposure or frostbite. Uh, so within our recorded history, over 300 people have died on Mount Everest. And the darkest thing about it, and the reason that I'm doing this episode, is a lot of them are still there. Sure. Sure. How do you get a body off a mountain? <laughs> yep. Uh, so it is extremely expensive and very dangerous uh, to remove bodies from Everest. Um, a Business Insider article I looked at said it can cost $70,000 um, oh, once you just... add it all up. See, this is where they need to start a little program. <laughs> <laughs> you Like, a take a book, leave a book, you know? If you're right. going up the mountain already, just bring a body down with you when you come back. Right. Well, the issue is, um, so these bodies can easily be double their weight because you have to chip them out of the ice. Mm. So with the amount, because you freeze immediately to the mountain, basically. Mm. Mm. Um, it nice. can take generally like six to eight Sherpa for a rescue attempt, and that puts their lives at risk, too. Um, there are many people who have died in attempts to retrieve bodies. Um, a lot of times they'll try to like cover a body or even just push it off a ledge um so that it is no longer there but there are bodies that remain just literally on the route up the mountain jeez yep um and some of them kind of became markers over the years um there was someone <laughs> who was known yep there was someone known um as green boots because it was a body wearing like neon green boots in a cave um, it is now believed to be uh, an Indian gentleman named Si Wang Paujor, um, died in 1996 and stayed visible for 18 years uh, before he he is, has since disappeared. They think that maybe they moved him or like covered him up with something, but people aren't sure it could just be drifting snow. Um, and he was in a cave that, according to one article I read, up to 80% of summiters would take shelter in that same cave and just kind of be... And just out. chill with his bond. Be hanging out with him. Um, and there was a, a very controversial um, death in 2006. Another man who tried to shelter in that cave and did also die there um, besides the other person. And I'm assuming like if they're freezing pretty immediately, like the bodies aren't decaying. No. Right? I mean, yeah. like it's just like a body, mm-hmm. like a full, like a full human person. Just yep chilling there yes um and awesome. I, I i cannot tell you um what what you should do i will say if you are looking for more information about this um be cautious when you are googling because there are lots of photos of these mm. things and if that is something you would prefer not to see uh just watch out um you you kind of led into it really well um there was a german woman named hannah lor schmatz who has the dubious honor of being the first woman to die on everest oh how nice um, and happy she, women's history right month. happy women's history month she was also the fourth woman to summit everest so good Aww. for her um but on a subsequent summit she did die there and she died leaning up against her backpack and her eyes were open and her hair was just like blowing in the wind just oh, like god hanging out there while you were going up there. And they did um, attempt to retrieve her body in 1984, but two rescuers fell to their deaths in the attempt. Um, But I believe she has since been removed. Um, So 1996 um, was previously um, before uh, I think 2014, the most deadly year on Everest. Um, Eight people died during an avalanche 
and 16 died over the course of the season. Uh, so if anyone has heard of Into Thin Air, um, that is the book that this was about, kind of this avalanche event. Um, so John Krakauer, who I mentioned earlier, was actually on assignment for Outside Magazine and was on this group, you know, when a bunch of people died in an avalanche. Um, so I do want to read that. I've heard it's really good. Sounds um, like a, a pick-me-up read. <laughs> I know. Uh, but here, here's one one wild pick-me-up about this. Um, so one guy who was part of the trek um, named Beck Weathers was left for dead twice, but survived. Ooh, a and, revenge story. <laughs> right? Um, and then... This was one of my favorite things. In 2006, um, a man named Lincoln Hall was also left for dead um, by his group. They thought that he had um, died of the cerebral edema, um, but mm -hmm. he had not. And another party of climbers found him the next day. And apparently what he said was, I imagine you're surprised to see me here. He's like, I see how this could come as a bit of a shock. <laughs> right. Hello, um, everyone. Uh, but they. Hello, they fellow him. youths. <laughs> they helped him down the mountain and he made a full recovery. So. Wow. Good for you, man. Um, and folks do try to, you know, kind of cover the bodies with flags from their country if they could tell or, you know, anything else. Give them some respect or privacy. Um, but obviously this is something that's very difficult for families um, of people. Sure. whose loved ones have died there. Um, the Death in the Clouds article that I mentioned um, particularly interviewed some of the family members of some of these recognizable um, bodies and kind of talked about the difficulties of them being seen that way. And, you know, obviously most people are hoping for some other kind of uh, laying to rest of a loved one, um, but most people are asked to sign a waiver that says that you can just be left there if you die because of the danger of trying to bring you back. I mean, I guess if that's your, uh, you know, like if you really love mountain climbing and that's how you go, like, I guess in a way that is kind of a, a beautiful, like, yeah. Aw, like you, they're, they're forever memorialized doing <laughs> what they loved. Yeah. Sort of maybe. Yeah, I think I think there's there's definitely both sides. And I mean, obviously, it is known to be a dangerous thing. Like we said, um, people die yeah. every year doing it. Uh, so, well, you yeah, do... it's like the horrors of your own making. Like, <laughs> I know nobody thinks they're going to die doing something yeah. like that. But like, it seems like the the odds are definitely not in your favor there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so it is it's like a one percent chance currently that you will die on Mount Everest. So it's not a high percentage, but it is a, a, a percentage that exists. Yeah. Um, that seems too high for me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's high. It's higher than one that I would like. Right. <laughs> to I need like, I need like activity. a one in like 3 billion chance that yeah. I won't die doing something. <laughs> Says uh, me who drives a car every I day. Know, right? I was just thinking that. Um, but one of the longest lasting Everest um, tragedy slash mysteries goes all the way back to one of the very first expedition attempts um, in 1924, uh, mounted by the Royal Geographical Society. Uh, so nowadays, the path up the southern side of the mountain in Nepal is considered the standard route. Um, but at the time, Nepal did not allow Westerners to enter the country. So these folks were attempting the northern route. Uh, there were 12 British mountaineers and 60 porters uh we will talk about that in a moment okay um they began their journey um to everest in mount 
Mar- Mount in March 1924. I've said Mount so many times. In this episode. <laughs> it's not it's sounding like a word to you anymore. It's not all over here. Uh, so they were slowed down by snowstorms. They were building base camps along the way and started their summit attempts in June. Um, there were three attempts. On the second one, a guy went snow blind, uh, which is a thing that oh. can happen when you are blinded by the UV rays, like your eyeballs have been sunburned. Perfect. Um, so he was blinded for 60 hours after that. Jeez. Um, and on the third and final attempt, uh, George Mallory and Sandy Irvine went up and they disappeared on their way to the peak. Mallory's body was not found until 1999. Whoa. Um, and it remains a mystery whether or not they successfully reached the summit. Um, so some people claim that they were the first ones um, to summit. Obviously the, well, obviously I say this, like everyone knows a bunch of random facts about Mount Everest, <laughs> which I kind of do. Uh, but the, um, what is recognized as the first summiting uh, was Sir Edmund Hillary and Tensing Norgay in 1953, I think. I actually didn't put this in my notes. I should have. Uh, but they found mal so when the the facts of like the last time that they were spotted makes it seem unlikely that they did make it up there but when they found mallory's body um he didn't have a photo of his wife that he'd been carrying around and planning to place at the summit Mm. um but irvine's body and the camera that they had have never been found Uh, so if those are ever discovered it might give us some more information and that is something uh, that, well, a side, side effect of the real horrors of the world, like climate change, right. <laughs> with uh, some of the glaciers melting, we are finding more random bodies yeah. that have been previously uh, frozen and are unearthed now. Uh, but surprising no one, the bonus scariest part of the episode is the exploitation of local people. Surprise. <laughs> Um, so as we mentioned, ever since the first Western expeditions on Everest, um, that you have depended on the skills and support of the local guides. Um, even the very first, um, expedition up the mountain in 1922, seven Sherpas died in an avalanche, um, and they continue to face death to this day. Um, the hardest jobs and labor are generally put onto local guides. Um, they haul the heaviest packs. Apparently these days people basically like your own backpack just has like some oxygen and a water bottle where the guides Mm -hmm. are carrying, you know, 80 pound packs of all of the gear. Um, and, uh, one of the things that was mentioned that now sometimes people will like, uh, acclimatize on a different on a different mountain and then come over to Everest so they don't have to spend as much time in that dangerous place. So sometimes people are only crossing like the most dangerous part of it like one time where guides are doing it dozens of times per trip yeah. as they're taking people up there. Um there was a Sherpa strike in 2014 after a very deadly avalanche um but I have not found really any information about if conditions have improved for them since and i somehow doubt it yeah um that is definitely an unfortunate side of it and i was trying to look because i mean mount everest is also you know the name that british people gave to it right yeah i did i did look up um it has several kind of local names and obviously like both sides since it's you know different countries and different languages they have their own 
different names. So there doesn't seem to be one that's kind of like a preferred name. Um, but if I miss that, um, definitely let me know, listeners out there, if you know. Um, and as a as a final a final wrap up, Everest is also covered in trash and poop. So in <laughs> summary, I will not be going there. Uh, I will stay down here out of the death zone and away from a bunch of human refuse. Yeah, that's valid. That's valid. Uh, I don't even know what to say. That's <laughs> This is not where I expected to go today. Um, <laughs> and I will forever be haunted by the idea of preserved human bodies frozen to the side of a mountain. So Yeah, they are, they are literally chilling up there. <laughs> not that not chilling <laughs> uh, well, sorry for, I know this is a little bit more macabre than our, our normal episode is um, but uh, Everest bodies are something that have always kind of fascinated me um, and just it ties into you know as we've kind of talked about in other episodes these human desires to like do things and like accomplish things just because you can and i'm kind of like and nobody asks whether or not you should (laughs) why let's not maybe maybe let's don't yeah like people people pay like forty thousand dollars on everest expeditions to get get hauled up there and i'm just like it's not for me mate (laughs) i couldn't do it no it is both is both difficult and unappealing to me i'm sure that is a beautiful 20 minutes of looking around at things from a high point but no no couldn't be me no i don't even want to like run a marathon let alone <laughs> no. like spend however many hours 12 hours climbing a mountain right and, and that's I just don't. the one like that's the like one way up to the top yeah. one way that's yeah. that's from the topmost camp that's after you stop below the dead zone <laughs> Yeah, that's well. Good job, mountain climbers. Uh, good for you. Be safe out there, you guys. <laughs> <Be safe. laughs> uh, that's. I'm glad that that brings you joy. Yep. Well, thank you for listening today. Uh, if you have ever climbed Mount Everest, let us know. Uh, we're sorry if we insulted you by telling you how unappealing we find it. Um, <laughs> I just it, have a feeling that that our listeners are not the Everest climbing no, types. I, I just I have feel a like probably not, but maybe you've climbed hair. another mountain. Let us know about any other mountains yeah. um, that you've climbed. If you have ever been in a death zone over eight thousand meters above sea level, um, if you have enjoyed listening to this podcast, uh, we would love it if you would leave a review for us. Uh, we like to hear what you're thinking and it really helps us um, help new people find the show and i do believe that we have a review to read today we sure do uh this is a five-star review titled the brightest point of my tuesdays uh from (laughs) from hawaii blows so um (laughs) we have both insulted the people of everest and the people of hawaii today on this episode uh But this review says, I look forward to the release of new episodes every Tuesday. It's like hanging out with two of your best spooky friends. They're goofy and spooky and so much fun. I would not say that we lived up to that today, but But I'm so thankful that you enjoy our podcast. (laughs) Sometimes you just got to talk about some of the weird stuff. (laughs) 
<laughs> we well, one thing you can always count on is we will be talking about the weird stuff. We certainly will. <laughs> uh, if you would like to keep in touch with us and see cool photos, uh, you can follow our podcast on Instagram at Ghouls Night in Pod, and you can find me um, on all platforms at Penny Snark. And you can find me everywhere at Midge Munster. And until next time, goodbye. Bye.